rethink marriage. Everybody think. Think again. Uh, think about it differently. Uh, think about marriage with, with, with fresh eyes and, and with an open heart. Rethink marriage. And that's exactly what we started doing last week as we talked about God's design, God's plan, God's intention for marriage. And our thinking began exactly where it needed to begin by us embracing what, what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. Here's what Paul says. Don't copy, and by the way, the Holy Spirit inspired those words. Uh, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Uh, does our world have behavior and customs when it comes to the marriage and family? But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Listen, the challenge for us and, and really the hope for us today is to, is to let God transform our marriage into a new marriage, into a better marriage, into the marriage we've always longed for and the marriage that God always had in mind by changing the way that we think. And listen, unless we choose to change, we think, unless we choose to think differently, our marriages will remain the same. I understand when it comes to marriage and the family, we don't want to think like and we do not want to copy the behaviors and customs of our world, of our culture, because this world is all jacked up, right? It's all messed up when it comes to the family. I mean, the way the world thinks about marriage and family has led only to hurting and disabling and destroying both. So, so where does this rethinking begin? How does this rethinking become a reality? By exposing ourselves to this book. Uh, by exposing ourselves to, to a book that is God-breathed, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, uh, this book that is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, uh, to, to this book that, like the snow and rain coming down from the earth, will water our lives and will not return back to God void, but will accomplish God's purpose. To the book where we find words that were written by the guy who actually thought marriage up to begin with. The guy who created marriage. Uh, the one who's the author and perfecter of both. And, and doesn't it make sense to go to the one who designed and engineered something, created something, in order to find out not only how it works, but how to get the most out of it? Say on Tuesday this week, your car stops running. Are you going to call the tow service and have them tow you to Best Buy and have the Geek Squad look at it? Probably not. You know, this morning in prayer time, you know, I, I, I was looking at the, um, uh, my, my iPad wasn't working properly. Like sometimes I, I'll plug my, I plug it in to hear it, but by its, without my earphones in, it won't play. I go, this is not working right. The bill goes, it's probably a setting. I go, you're right. I said, I think I'll take it down to Lowe's this week. Bill goes, I really like Lowe's, but I don't think they're going to help you. And I said, exactly, <laughs> exactly, right, exactly. You know, if we want to know how marriage works, 
what it's supposed to do and how to get the most out of it, then it makes sense to go to the one who designed it, the one who drew up a blueprint and says, here's how the thing is supposed to work. And we look at marriage. God had marriage and family in his mind all the way back in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created absolutely everything, this amazing universe that we live in. On day six, he said, okay, now that everything is ready, let us create man in our own image. And he created man and woman in his own image. Okay? And then we know that you know, when you read Genesis chapter uh, 1, it's like the overview, right? You know, he, he created the universe. He created everything. And then Genesis chapter 2, he zeroes in. Okay, let's look at that again. And let's focus in on the main thing, me creating man and woman. He says, hey, he created Adam first and, 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 and in his image. And Adam is like enjoying everything and really some really cool animals, you know, to hang out with. But there was no suitable helper for Adam. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so what happens? God causes him to fall into a sleep, takes out a rib, closes the place up with flesh, and God gives man a woman. And then Adam says the following. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now we're going to pray, and, and, and it's always good. To, we pray palms open here a lot. You know, it's kind of symbolic to say, all right, God, you're going to speak because your word is true. It's active. It's not dead. And some of the stuff you say, God, I like a lot. Some I don't like a lot. You know, some's uncomfortable, you know, but palms open. It's just symbolic. God, whatever you say, I want to hear and put into my life. So would you pray with me? God, we love you. And God, there is no one like you. Uh, no one like you. No one ever loved us or will love us the way you love us. No one would ever believe in us the way you believe in us, pursue us the way you pursue us. And God, you alone we praise, God, with our lives. And, and God, I ask that right now you would just help us um, talk about something you created for us and that the world is kind of messed up and maybe we've messed it up too in our own lives. And, and God, I, I pray that our open palms mean that our hearts are open and our minds are open to your truth this morning. And, and God, help me to say what you want me to say in the way you want me to say it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, day, today is part two in our message uh, conversation about marriage by design, God's design for marriage. We're in the series, God's Blueprint for the Family. It was supposed to be one sermon, now it's two, right? Um, Next week, I'm going to talk about, like, finding your soulmate. Everything's kind of changing on me. But I, got, I, I thought, you know what? That's where family begins to start, right? Finding, how do we find the person we want to spend forever with? So we'll talk about that, all right? So if you're thinking it's something else next week, that's what it is, because who knows what's going to happen, right? It could change again. And, and, and like I said last week, I, I, I know that this is, a, this is a really tough subject and a hard subject for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. You know, maybe your marriage isn't doing so good. Now, maybe you have or are about to throw in the towel because you, you've just given up all hope of things ever turning around. Maybe you've been through a divorce or, or on your way to divorce and your heart still hurts. Maybe your spouse, you had a great marriage, but uh, your spouse went on uh, to be with Christ and he's waiting to greet you there when you get there. I, I know that this is a very tough subject. 
Because not only does this message hit close to home, this message is home. You know? And I got to tell you, I, I don't really want to be in your underwear drawer. Right? <laughs> but I got to be sometimes, right? You know? You, know, you don't want me there. I don't want to be there. You, you know, trust me. Glad you did laundry this week, right? But, <laughs> but sometimes we just got to talk about this stuff. You know? And, and, but I want you to know that I, I do it with fear and trembling. Yeah, but I also do it with hope, because my God is great, my God is awesome, and, and my God can bring dead things to life. He's done before, he'll do it again. And, and uh, I, I want to read a quote from an awesome book. In your notes, you'll see, you know, I've referenced three different books, and, and, and I'd recommend any of these. Uh, this is a book by Tim Keller. Tim is like a super smart guy. He's got a, a church in New York City, and, and he has a book called The Meaning of Marriage. I just started reading it this week. Uh, some, somebody hooked me up with it. And here's what he says. Marriage is glorious, but what? It's hard. Anybody agree? It's a burning joy and strength, and yet it is blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats and exhausting victories. No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. I believe all this, and yet there's no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. Okay? Let's do some rethinking about marriage. And, and, and let's allow God to transform our marriage into a new marriage by changing the way that we think. And by the way, when, when you choose to change the way you think about marriage, don't expect our world to applaud. They're not going to applaud. Uh, because as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, the message, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God, right? The world's going to look at us, really? That's kind of archaic, you know? We kind of grew out of those biblical ideas of marriage. It sure seems foolish, but we know, don't we? We know that it's the very power of God, all right? So God created marriage, you know, with a purpose in mind. And, 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 and this is review, you know, from last week. And, and I like review. Review is good because you forget. Trust me, I know. I used to draw my kids after church going home and say, what I talk about today? Nothing. <laughs> Jesus? Awesome. All right, you got that right. And, and, and actually found a, I found a text recently that, 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 that you know, proves it's good to review, all right? Uh, Matthew 13, verse 52. Matthew 13, verse 52. I've never seen this verse before. Every teacher who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a house owner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. And so I'm, I'm going to go into the storehouse this morning, and, and, and I'm going to bring out some old gems you already know, but we got to dust off because you kind of forgot about them. And also some new gems of truth as well. So, so God designed marriage for a purpose, and, and, and some of the purposes are, are obvious, like, like the purpose to what? Fill, to multiply and to fill the earth for physical reproduction and sexual intimacy, right? That's, that's one of the purposes. Like we said last week, our, our God is pro-sex. Again, God did not have to create sex as a way to get the reproduction job done, but he did. Yay, God. You know, I'm glad that he, he chose that right? But, but, but God wants people to have that experience with, in the boundaries of a husband and a wife in a lifelong 
committed relationship. Now, why is that? Why the limits? Is it because is it God is like mean and cruel? And he just wants to you know, keep all the fun stuff from us? No. You know, oh, by the way, that was one of the attacks of the evil one, right? In the garden, right, right out of the get-go, right? First thing he does, the evil one looks at man and he goes, did God really say you couldn't eat that fruit? Did he really say that? Did God really say that these are the boundaries for sexuality, right? Did God, did he really say that? And he challenges God's word. And then the enemy, the next thing the enemy does, he challenges God's character. Says, hey, he doesn't want you to eat that because if you eat that, you'll know the things that God knows. And God doesn't want you to know what he knows. God is holding out on you. Understand, the reason that God has put up limits, all his limits, are, are especially sexuality, they're guardrails. Not to hurt us, but protect us. See, he doesn't want us to drive our lives over the cliff and hit the jagged rocks of misuse and sexuality. So he puts up guardrails and say, hey, stay within these boundaries and everything will work out. And, and next, we see that God designed marriage to help us. You know, God made a suitable helper for Adam and, and, and to help us what? Well, to help us overcome this problem of aloneness. You see, we're created in God's image, right? And, and God at his core is a relational being. And, and so God designed marriage to, to, to fill this need, right? This need that he put in us for connection. This need he put in us for relationship. This need he put in us for community. Uh, this need he put in us to be able to be with someone and to be naked and unashamed. Like Adam and Eve, right? They, they, were, uh, they, they were naked and unashamed. They were naked physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I mean, no gains, no manipulations, no promoting, no marketing, no covering up. And yet they still accepted each other. And listen, to be able to live in a place where somebody knows you warts and warts and warts and all, and know that they still love you and accept you is a very, very nice place to live. And, and then the next thing that God designed marriage to help us with is to help us become the person we're created to be. And this is a thing we talked about last week, this concept that, that I've personally been camping out, you know, for the last few weeks on, and that, you know, God designed marriage not for our happiness, but for our what? For our holiness. That's pretty counterculture, right? Pretty counterintuitive. And at an early age, right, we're, we're taught otherwise. And they're fairy tales, right? Like I said, they lived happily ever after, right? Can you see where, if that's your goal in marriage, to be happy, how that could cause problems? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, if you're married, I mean, first service really struggled with this because they didn't want to say it, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to say that. You know, if you're married, let's say this together three times on the count of three, right? And say like you mean it or else we got to do it again. I got to rewind the tape. And, and the visitor think, wow, these guys are not playing along with Steve. You know, they must not like Steve today or something. All right. All right. You ready? One, two, three. It's about my holiness, not my happiness. It's about my holiness, not my happiness. It's about my holiness, not my happiness. How'd that feel? Feel good? <laughs> uh, Gary Tom Thomas, I read this quote last week. It's an old gem. Sacred Marriage, a great book. I recommend it. He says this, if you want to become like Jesus, I can't imagine anything better to do than to get married. Being married forces you to face some character issues you never face otherwise. Any situation that calls on you to confront, calls on us to confront our what? Our selfishness. I am so selfish. You are so selfish. And sometimes I think I'm not selfish, and I go like, whoa. You're making it all about you again. 
You're making it all about you again. Any situation that causes us to confront our selfishness has enormous spiritual value. Yes, perhaps the real purpose of marriage may not be happiness as much as it is holiness. You see, 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 God has used marriage to kind of to reveal our flaws and show us how big those flaws are. I heard a guy say that, that marriage is the Mack truck driving over the bridge of your life. All right? You know, I got a Mack truck there. And the guy was saying he was under a bridge one time, and a Mack truck was, trucks were driving over it, and he go, whoa, there's some cracks. Whoa, they're getting bigger. They're getting bigger. Oh, I shouldn't be under this bridge. Right? You know, and that's what it is, right? We have these flaws, right? And then, and, and then, and then we're married, and then those flaws, they get exposed. Wow, there's a flaw here. Here's a, wow, you really are selfish. You really are, tend to be rude. And then we have kids. We'll talk about that later. But then we hook up a, a trailer to that. And so we gotta, we're pulling two Mack trucks, right? It's like, ugh. Okay. See, marriage is that place where 24-7, 365 days a year, year after year after year, you learn how to die to yourself. You know, you, you, you learn how to, okay, yeah, I see Paul wrote about that love thing. Love is patient. Now I get to try to practice it out in the real world. You know, love is, keeps no record of wrongs. Well, I, I got to try to live that out. It's it, it, you know, marriage is where the Holy Spirit you know, helps uh, develop it, it, and shape us and, and put its, his fruit in our life, right? Fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Here's, here's my definition of marriage, and I added to it already this morning. Uh, marriage is about a lifelong partnership, and here's what I added, with an imperfect person where we help each other become all that God created us to be. It's a lifelong partnership with an imperfect person where we help each other become all that God created us to be. And, and you see, when we, when we think of marriage this way, when we rethink marriage, when we see God's vision for marriage like this, you know, we begin to look at our spouse and say, you know, babe, I, I see who God is making you to be, and it's awesome, and I like it, and it excites me. And I want to be a part of it. I, I want to partner with you and with God to help you be everything God wants you to be as you journey to his throne. Knowing that one day we're, we're going to stand there, babe, we're going to stand there one day before his throne. And I'm going to see you in all your glory. And I'm going to say, you know what? I knew. I knew you'd always look like that. Because I saw glimpses of it as we journey together. You see, it's not about our happiness. It's about, it's about holiness. And next, God designed marriage to provide a picture of God's love, a picture of the gospel. I mean, what is the gospel? The gospel is about commitment. It's about sacrifice. The gospel is about faithfulness. The gospel is about unconditional love for another person, an imperfect person. The gospel is about someone giving up their life, someone denying themselves for the benefit of another person. See, that's what the gospel's all about. And, and, and see, uh, when we, and, and God, God said, I, I want the world to know I, what, what my love for the church looks like. And says, you want to know what? Here, it's a Christian marriage. It's people committed to each other, sacrificing for each other, putting each other's needs first, despite all the imperfections. Tim Keller writes in his book, God's Mean a Marriage. I love this. The reason that marriage is so painful, anybody agree you're married? Would you agree? Can we be honest? Is it hard? Sometimes painful, right? Difficult? And yet wonderful, because it is, is because it's a reflection of the gospel, which is painful, 
and wonderful at once. The gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we've ever dared to believe, yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Wow. Amen? That's some good stuff. And, and, and there are these commitments, right? You know, or personally, every husband, every wife in this room can say, you know what? I, I kind of had this messed up. I kind of thought it was about my happiness and all that, but you know what? That's not what it is. And we say, I will commit to God's purpose for marriage. And we just, in our hearts, we circle yes or we circle no. I think it'll make a difference, right? We know the purpose of this thing. God also designed marriage to be a major priority. He says this is, explains why a, a man leaves his father and mother and she's joined to his wife and the two are united in the one. Have you ever tried to glue two surfaces together? What is usually the first step, right? You know, they you may ignore it, but they say what? Make sure both surfaces are what? That they're clean. So you got, it creates a stronger bond. Have you ever skipped this step? Or did a lousy job on it? What happened? I know what happened to me. The rearview mirror fell onto the dash just two miles down the road. Dang it. <laughs> Marriage is an exclusive relationship, and it takes priority over every other relationship except our relationship with God. question can parents can other people can our jobs can our hobbies can our kids become a higher priority than our spouse they sure can right and if so we know we do we need to break out the wire brush reclean both surfaces and be joined to our spouse again question is your spouse your top priority after your walk with god that one's maybe easier to answer than this one. And does your spouse feel like they are your top priority after you walk with God? And the bottom line, if our spouse does not feel like they are our top priority, then by definition, <laughs> they are not. When that happens, when your spouse, your husband, your wife does not feel that you are a big priority, you know, that's when a marriage begins to slowly or not so slowly die because God said, hey, this thing is about leaving and it's about being joined together in marriage. It's about priority. It's about connection. It's about this. And here again, we have another commitment. Simple, right? At least on paper, you know. I will do whatever it takes to make my marriage a priority and to make sure my wife or husband knows it's a priority. Whatever it takes. Maybe, maybe, you know, I got carried, maybe my job over the kids, something else has gotten in the way. And and my husband and wife, they're not sure anymore. I'm going to do whatever it takes so they know without a doubt, you are a major priority in my life. Again, I think that'll make a huge difference. Next, God intends for marriage to be permanent. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test them. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied. They're really looking for an answer, right? They weren't sincerely seeking he replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And Jesus teaches in these verses that God intended for marriage in the beginning, right, that, that it would be permanent. Now, the Pharisees were referring back to a law in Deuteronomy chapter 24 about divorce. But Jesus said, yeah, yeah, God allowed it, but he allowed it because men's hearts were hard. 
But God says, from the beginning, I, I, I wanted a man to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, become one flesh, and to not be separated. I wanted them to stay together. And that word join, some versions say cleave. It's a really strong word, and it's actually used sometimes to refer to a, a covenant with God. You see, marriage, it's not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Now, we know what a consumer-based relationship is, right? I have a consumer-based relationship with Kroger. <laughs> and, and, and as long as the price is right, the food is good, I'm, coming, I'm going to Kroger. But if Harris Teeter, better price, hey, Harris Teeter, here I come. Right? No loyalty whatsoever. I'm done. You know? You may be eating chicken, chicken sandwiches at McDonald's and a Chick-fil-A opens up next door. You say, hey, I've been enjoying those McChickens for $1.29. But I'm going to Chick-fil-A, right? You know, right? It, it, it's consumer-based. And what has happened, you know, consumer-based is such a part of our culture that it's actually invaded our marriage, the way we think about marriage. And it's like, hey, as long as the benefits outweigh the cost, I'm good with this thing. But the minute it's not, the minute I got to put more in than I'm getting out, I'm done. It's a consumer-based relationship. You know, but marriage is not that. Marriage is a covenant relationship. And a covenant is a binding agreement between two people. It's a covenant. We're not going to break this thing. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, we don't need to get married. It's just a piece of paper. We don't need a piece of paper so someone knows that we love them. Really? There's no power in a piece of paper. There's no power in commitment. There's no power in covenant. You see, let me tell you some things that covenant does. One thing, covenant creates intimacy. And I'm talking about real deep intimacy, you know, being naked and unashamed, emotionally, physically, spiritually, that here, here I am, warts and all, messed up and all, and knowing that that person still loves you, right? You know, that kind of intimacy. And see, what covenant does, because we know that we're in the long haul, for this, right, we're not leaving, it leads to real intimacy because we can stop doing the things that everybody does when they're dating or even living together. We can stop marketing and promoting ourselves, right? Right? It's like, well, you know, I, I got to put makeup on the day, I got to do this, you know, because we're like, hey, I got to keep marketing and promoting myself because they may be done, right? They, you know, so yeah, I'll go to the mall, yeah, I'll watch that game with you, because even though I don't want to, I'm going to pick up my underwear, you know, even though I want to, because, you know, I, I, I got to continually market it, because if you see the real me, you may not like the real me, and I haven't, you haven't bought me yet, right? And so is, where's the intimacy there? There's no intimacy, because you don't even know who each other is, but once, and let me tell you, when someone sees the unpromoted, unmarketed you, it says, man, I love you. I accept you. That is intimacy. Uh, uh, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller puts it this way. This is so good. When over the years someone has seen you at your worst, you want to know about my worst, talk to my wife, and knows you with all your strength and flaws, yet commits him, herself to you wholly, it's a consummate experience. Listen, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. It's like, yeah, you love me, but you don't really know who I am. And if you knew who I am, I'm a guy who doesn't pick up his underwear or whatever. You know, you're not really going to love me. So you don't, even though I know you love me, but I don't really feel it. It's superficial because you don't know the real me. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That man, if you knew me, 
who I really was, what my fears, what my struggles were, you wouldn't love me. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Amen, amen, amen. Covenant. It, it, creates, it, creates, it, it creates intimacy. It also creates stability. In other words, we can unpack the boxes and move in because we aren't going anywhere. And that's called stability. Stability for your marriage, stability for your home, stability for your kids. I'm not leaving because I can't leave. We're in a covenant. Now, when Ulysses, in Greek mythology, was traveling through the island of the, the Sirens, he knew that he would go mad if he heard the voices of the women on the cliffs. But he also knew his insanity would go away when he was falling out of earshot of their voices. You see, he knew that he would get over it. And he did not want to wreck the ship when he knew that he was not in his right mind. And so what he did was he had his sailors put wax in their ears, and he tied himself to the mask. And he says, no matter what I say, no matter what I scream, no matter what I threaten, stay on course. That's what a covenant does. We say, I'm not going to wreck this home. I'm not going to wreck this marriage in a moment of insanity, you know. Because I know my mind's not right. I'm not thinking straight. Man, there's stress at work going on that I'm not handling well, and I'm bringing it home. And, man, I, I, I just want to give up on everything. But I, I'm tied to the mask, you know. And, and, and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay the course. Did you know that two-thirds of all marriages, studies say that two-thirds of people who say they're unhappy in their marriage, that if they would stay together, five years later would say, we're happy. But many people jump out too soon. Now, obviously, I think they probably got some help. They got some coaching. They got some counseling. And if you think your marriage may need a coach, you know, we have elders. Man, put something in your connection card. Grab an elder. We got, we got a lot of marriages in here that are mature. That was the beauty of the, of the conference we did. People sit around the table talking about their marriage. Hey, it, it's hard. We're two, imper we're two, you're two imperfect people, right? Two selfish people getting together. It gets crazy sometimes. And to have a coach is a, is a really, really good thing. The covenant also creates perspective. Here's another book I, I quote here. Um, Gary Smalley wrote a book, Love is a Decision. Good book, been around for a while. But marriage is a decision that we make to honor our spouse through loving actions regardless of our feelings or the cost. See, marriage is a decision, not a feeling. See, feelings make great fruit but they make a lousy root, right? If you say the root of marriage is feelings, well, my goodness. Sometimes you don't, you know, let's admit, sometimes you really feel like you love your spouse. But no, the root of your marriage is a decision. You see, I, I made a decision on January 10th, 1997. As I stood before man and I stood before my God, I, I made promises to, to Laurie. And I said, I, Steve, take you, Laurie, to be my wife. To have and to hold, and for my favorite words, from this day forward. It, it don't matter what's back there. From this day forward. 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we are separated by death, as God is my witness. I give you my promise. That's some serious stuff. <laughs> you know, vows are serious, and you know, God takes vows serious. You know, I, I made a commitment. I made a decision. Check out what God says in Mal- Malachi chapter 2. Malachi. Here's what he says. He says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've not been faithful to her. Though she remain your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you're his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to your wife of your youth, for I what? Hate divorce. Notice he says, I hate divorce. Does he say, I hate divorce people? Does not say that. I know that divorce happens, and you may be here, and you've had to suffer through a divorce, and if you had, I'm sorry. For all the hurt, all the pain that you may even still feel to this day. And I'm also sorry for the way sometimes the church has treated, has treated divorced people, right? You're like a second-class citizen. You got a scarlet D on your head forever. That yet God can forgive every sin, not that one. That's a lie. You know, God can forgive any sin. I I believe his grace really is enough. You know, sometimes divorce happens, and there's nothing we can absolutely do about it. We can't change history, and I want you to know that God, God forgives. We serve a forgiving God, but what I want you to think about is, is, is not, you know, if you've been through divorce, not, not your past marriage, you know, maybe your present one or a future one, and, and say, I'm going to think differently. From this day forward, I'm going to think differently. From this day forward, I'm going to think, hey, it's not about my happiness. It's about holiness. It, 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 it's, I'm gonna, from this day forward, I'm going to think that, that marriage is, is about God using my marriage to reflect his glory in the church, that God uses my marriage to provide a, a Christ-centered home where people can grow to maturity from this day forward. Now, before we leave this point, and, and, and i got to tell you about a love story that's been going on at Maple Grove for quite some time. And some of you may have noticed it. Some may not have noticed it. And, and if you didn't notice, it's probably because it doesn't fit the st- our world's view of passionate love story. So if you're thinking about, I'm talking about some people who just started dating or, or somebody who just got married or that couple that's always holding hands. When you go to Facebook, they're always together, and you, know, you know, holding hands, going to all these places, always seem to enjoy life. That's not it. See, the people I'm talking about were married in 1959. They've married 54 plus years, and her name are Sam and Madeline Sharp. That's a great picture. And, and I talked on the phone with Sam on Thursday. I said, Sam, can I share your love story? He said, absolutely. They're driving somewhere in California because Madeline wants to see some family in California. And, and Sam said, here, he said, here's four T's we went into with our marriage. He said, number one, this is a lifetime commitment. Number two, we will always treat each other, we will always treat each other with respect, even when we're upset and feel like doing the opposite. The big D was never to be a part of their vocabulary, divorce. And Christ needs to be the center and strength of our marriage and our home. Well, in May of 2011, Sam and Madeline's love story went to the next level when Madeline was diagnosed with TSP, 
progressive supernuclear palsy. It's a very progressive brain disease, the brain stem, very painful. But listen, if you've ever looked back there or seen him in a hallway as Sam is pushing Madeline's wheelchair, man, you can just feel the passionate love that Sam has for Madeline in sickness and in health. In her conversation Thursday night, I love that. Oh, where's the, we got the beach picture there? There, boom. Isn't that awesome? He kept bragging about her. You know, how she's so strong and doesn't complain. And he would just throw out these comments randomly. She's fantastic. She's a wonderful gal. She has a heart of gold. She's my honey. And he told her, he said, I like to say to Madeline, I, I kind of like you no matter what. And I'm going to stay around because it's in the contract. You know, a teaser with that all the time. And, and he made a point of saying two things as we wrapped up. He said, Steve, you know, if Christ was not the center of our home and our marriage, I don't know what we would have done. And he also said this, Steve, you know, we do not live for tomorrow. We just live for today. And, of course, before he, he hung up the phone, he had to put the phone to Madeline so I could say hi to Madeline as they drove down the road. For better or worse. It's sickness and in health. And marriage is a covenant relationship. And here we have this commitment, right? Where we are, husbands and wives. Say, so, you know what? I'll burn the ships. Divorce is not an option. And I'll fulfill my vows from this day forward. Next, God designed marriage to be pure. I'm going to start rocking this. I'm a little over, but, you know, I'm oh, sorry. We'll be all right. Um, Hebrews 13, 4. Honor marriage. And guard the sacred intimacy, and guard, honor marriage, and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. And again, sexual intimacy is expressed between the boundaries of the husband and the wife. In fact, Scripture says this: Run <laughs> from sexual morality. It's got an exclamation point, right? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, our culture promotes the opposite, right? They don't promote run from sexual morality. They promote run to sexual immorality, right? Any kind, anywhere, anytime, anytime you want. Did you know that 94% of all sex on TV and movies is between people who aren't married? That's just not reality, right? In fact, how are the married lives of those portraying those characters in those shows actually look, looking not so good, right? They're playing these parts, and it's not working. A few weeks back, they had the opportunity to go to Wildfire, and some guys talked about sexual purity. One was Jace Robertson from Duck Dynasty. There he is. And his wife, Missy. And they were talking about how they kept themselves pure for marriage. And he mentioned that in that GQ article that came out that blew up and all over the place. And uh, he said the guy who came there was very, you know, one came to pick a fight. And at one time he looked at Jace and said, you don't expect me to believe that you and your wife saved yourself for marriage. And Jace said, I don't care what you believe. You know, he said it, it got more contentious. Eventually everybody left. It was four hours, but Phil couldn't leave because Phil was, it was Phil's house. And, and uh, he had to stay. And he said that his dad talked about God's view of sex and called him to be pure at an early age. And he said that it helped because he was at a party when he's 13 years old. His dad already talked about sexual purity to him. And, and, a, and a, a girl at the party offered to have sex with him. 
And one word came into his mind, run! And he ran out of the house, right? <laughs> All his friends see him running, and they're making fun of him. He said, I have the last laugh because I saved myself for marriage. I have a happy marriage with this many kids. And he said this, God's way in regards to sex is the best way. It's guilt-free, disease-free, and comparison-free. Yeah, it is. You know, I've never talked to anybody who said, I, I regret not having more sexual relationships before I got married. No one. But I have talked to those who regret it, having those relationships. Tim Keller makes a killer statement here. And young people, older people, we need to hear this. Sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. And I love this. You must not use sex to say anything else. Anything less than I belong to you completely, permanently, and exclusively. And again, we have our commitment, right? You know, I will run from sexual morality. You know, from having those conversations with some of the opposite sex I know I shouldn't be having. From looking at those sites on the internet I shouldn't be looking at, right? I'm going to run from sexual sin, yes or no. Again, that would help our marriage. And the last one is probably what you would expect me to say as we wrap up, is that God designed marriage to be perfectly positioned, you know, with God at the center. Now, Scripture says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Did you know that uh, uh, in Remarriage and Divorce magazine, it says this, that, that when, a, when a husband and wife both go to church together regularly and they read their Bible and they pray and have their own walk with God, that the divorce rate is one in every 1,105 marriages. Why is that? Because God's the foundation. You know, God is the foundation and God changes everything. You know, there's a lot of debate going on sometimes, like, like who is the greatest you know, coach of all times, you know, it, it, you know, or greatest quarterback even, right? You know, it, you know, it's the greatest coach. Is it Tom Landry? Is it Vince Lombardi? Is it, is it Chuck Knoll? Is it Bill Belichick? You know who's the greatest coach of all time? Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit. Greatest coach of all time. I mean, we have a coach inside of us that, that is there to help us be more like Christ. And here's the deal. Here's what happens. And I'm going to wrap this up. I apologize for, for being long, but we need to talk about this stuff. Here's what happens. See, if, say you like to be generous, right? You know, and you're like, I want to give money. I'm not giving you nothing, but just pretend. Because <laughs> I mean, I got like, like 13 bucks in a McDonald's gift card someone gave me, right? <laughs> you know, but you, like, you just start handing money out. You like to do it. There's a limit to that, right? Right, because if you don't have a sufficient income coming in, you can't give the way you want to give. You need a love income. And you get that love income from God. When you allow God to love you the way that God wants to love you, that enables you to love your spouse and other people the way that God's called you to love. You can't do it without it. You know? you know, you need a sufficient love income. And God loves you. God is passionate about you. And when you make God the foundation of your marriage and let God love you, your marriage will go to new heights and new levels. 
And so those are the commitments, right, that we're going to make, you know, you know that, that I will, you know, you know I, I, I will recommit or commit to God's purpose for marriage, that I'll make sure my marriage is a priority and that my spouse knows it, right, and, you know, that, that, that I will burn the ships. You know, I'm not going to throw out the D word to freak you out, to get my way, to scare you. No, not an option. And I'm going to fulfill my vows to the best of my ability. I'm going to keep my, I'm going to run from sexual sin. And and I'm going to position myself so that God is the center and foundation of our home. I'm going to allow God to love me so that I can love others the way he wants me to. You know, God's design. You know, we got to stop taking our car to Best Buy to get it fixed. (laughs) And take our marriage to God's word and fix. We're going to sing a song. Uh, about God, you know, and, and I love this song, right? We know this. I don't know where your life is, and you could be struggling, and, and I know with this topic, it's hard and difficult, but one thing remains through all the hardships and difficulty is God's love, and his love never, never, ever, ever, ever fails. Would you stand and pray with me, please? God, we love you. You love us more. You love us most. You love us best. And, and God, I pray for every person in this room that, that right now, you know, God, that we just take in your love. Don't even think about our marriage right now. We think about the love of God, you know, that exceeds all understanding and that always remains with us through no matter what we're going through. Holy Spirit, just minister to us right now, and may each individual feel the passionate, pursuing, never-ending, unyielded, unconditional, unfailing love God has for us. Amen.